0: If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter fifteen. Luke chapter fifteen as we continue our study through the New Testament here. And if you'll stand when you get there, well I'll read the first ten verses of our passage for this morning. Luke fifteen in verse one, then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to hear him. To hear him, the Pharisees and the scribes complained, "This man receives sinners and eats with them." And so he spoke this parable to them, saying, "What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it?" And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. I say to you that likewise there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. And likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. May You may be seated. The divine initiative. God has a plan. God has a purpose. God is at work. If you lose your job or your business, what next? If you lose your savings and your investments fail, what next? If your friends or your relatives leave, what next? See, the potential of losses set us all into action to seek that which is lost. We wouldn't set back at such losses. We'd spring into action to recover as much as possible, would we not? God is not relaxing in heaven. Rather, he's working rather fervently to save the human race from complete destruction. He works intentionally in the lives of the lost and those outside grace, the grace of salvation. For those who put their trust in Jesus Christ, there will always be hope because there's a God in heaven who cares. He's the one who sees all. He's the one who knows all. He's aware of everything that's going on in your life. The very hairs on our head are all numbered. That is an incredible thing to comprehend. Think of the billions of people that are on the planet. And God knows each one of us intricately. He knows every thought we ever think, and before we ever think them, we're talking about an incredible God, a God who loves us with passion. For those of us who trust in Christ, there's always hope in our situation because God is there. This is why Jesus incarnated and became as a man. He became one of us, a human being, because he wanted to redeem us from the curse, from the, our own fallenness. Is that not what the Scripture says in Matthew 1811, the son of man has come to save that which is lost. God has set his heart on seeking those who are estranged from him. He wants to turn them from being an enemy into his friends. We were altogether born into sin. We, by birth, are alienated from God. The default position at death is not heaven. But how many people believe, well, you know, I'm a good person. I don't know, but I hope I make it to heaven. You see, the default position at death is eternal separation from God. Fortunately, it can be prevented if we receive God's plan of salvation. It's an unfortunate position of being separated by God at birth. We didn't ask for it. We didn't choose to be. Just God in his wise plan and foreknowledge allowed it to happen. He subjected creation, as we read in Romans, to vanity. And we all question that and wish that were not the case, but it is. We were born of Adam and Eve, and therefore we are fallen from grace. And we all need to be saved from sin without exception. We're a loss. we're hopelessly separated from God, bound by our fallen nature, It blinds us to the greater reality. The sinful state of humanity cannot be denied with any bit of intellectual honesty. Humanity expresses selfish reactions, especially in undesirable situations. We're critical of others. We judge others unmercifully. We're prideful and self-righteous. We have vain imaginations and impure thoughts. We resist coming to God by nature. We're enemies of God because we live in darkness and our deeds are evil. We don't want to come to the light because it'll expose who we really are before God. We fail to see and we fail to understand how much God loves us. In short, humanity is dead in sin. We are dead in our trespasses against God and one another. We have no hope. We are wicked, unholy, and we are ignorant of God. But I love this, what the scripture says. But God, who was rich in mercy, became one of us. He became our kinsman redeemer yet without sin in order to redeem us back to himself. It is through the incarnation that Jesus reestablished the family of God. He came to reestablish the oneness between God and man. His life would become an example of how humanity should live before God and how we should treat one another in selfless love. He demonstrated his love in that he died for us while we were yet sin sinners, dead in our sins and trespasses. He didn't die for me when I was trying to do the right thing or try to be loving and forgiving. No, he died for me when I was in rebellion and when I was alienated from him and as an enemy of God. His sinless life became the offering that God would accept as a payment. His shed blood on the cross alone atones for our wickedness. For all the sins and all the rebellion of all humanity, Jesus paid the price. He offered himself once for all and for all time. There's no other sacrifice that can be made. No other sacrifice will be acceptable to God for the sins of mankind no good works will be sufficient to allow someone to enter into heaven you must be forgiven good works do not provide for forgiveness or atonement there's no salvation in any other person than Jesus Christ there's no other religion on the face of the earth that can provide forgiveness that God will accept The road to heaven is a narrow road but broad is the way to destruction There are those who say, oh, all road leads to God. Well, yes, they do. But not all roads will have the same result because all men will stand before God. We will all stand at the judgment seat of God. you want to be under the blood of Christ when you stand before him. See, the justice that God had required was satisfied with the blood of Christ. His blood atoned for our sins that we've all committed. There's only one exception. There's only one sin that cannot be forgiven. It's unforgivable, and that is to reject the gift that is offered in the person of Jesus Christ. There's no other sacrifice, there's no other means by which mankind can be forgiven and saved. It is through the blood sacrifice of Christ on Calvary's cross that God was able to both satisfy his justice and express his love. Truly, as the song is sung, Justice and love met together at the cross. The words of Christ are true. They're right. John 8, 28, if you can pull that up. John 8, 28 through 30 says, Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, that's crucifixion, then you will know that I am. He's using the divine name. I am. God became a man. Then you will know that I am, that I do nothing of myself, But as my Father taught me, I speak these things, and he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. And he spoke these words, many believed in him. You know, this is a thing that's hard for some because they're not really familiar with the Scriptures. They know many verses maybe, but they're not really entrenched in the Word of God. And I want to encourage you, if you have not made it a point to read through the whole Bible, you need to do that. You know, it might take you five years, but start your journey through the Scriptures because it is in the Scriptures that you will find life. It is not only reading the Scriptures, but giving time and effort to meditate, to think through, to give deep, concentrated thought on what you're reading and engage with the author. That is where transformation takes place. It is through the meditation of the Scriptures and the truth that God has given to us in the Word. You'll find in the Old Testament, and if you're taking notes, um, you'll see two persons, a physical Yahweh and a voice. This is throughout the Old Testament, and if you are clued in on this and you begin to see it, then it begins to pop out and you see it as you read through the Old Testament. I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures that you can take home with you and look up. Genesis 48, 15 and 16, and Exodus 23, verses 20 through 23. And it is the angel of the Lord. We see his appearance throughout the Old Testament. He comes and speaks with Abraham. He wrestles with Jacob. Jacob mentions him in there in Genesis 48. And then Yahweh, the voice, is speaking to Moses and says, Look, I'm going to send my angel before you, and you better pay attention because if you step out of line, he's going to whack you. Now, that's a serious paraphrase, but you get the idea. Okay? So you see, you see these two... Powers, physical and the voice, very pregnant throughout the Old Testament. And of course, the Spirit of God is throughout the Psalms. So we have the Trinity in the Old Testament, we have the Trinity in the New Testament. The Son of Man has done what? He has come to save that which was lost. You know, this is the thing about Jesus, that he spent time with the outcast. Uh, you notice we read there the tax collectors. And if you have King James, it says publicans. Now, not, not republicans, but publicans. Now, I do say that republicans need to be saved. Just like publicans and democrats and, and tax collectors and all sinners, right? We all, we're all all in the same boat, however you want to label yourself. But essentially what it is, they were the deplorables of the day and were rejected by the religious leaders because of their lifestyles and because of their, you know, less than favorable occupations. They wouldn't, the religious leaders wouldn't even eat with people like this. They considered them unclean. They thought Jesus, if Jesus was really a true prophet, he would not conduct, conduct himself in this way. He wouldn't be eating with sinners. But Jesus did the unthinkable. In the mind of these people, if you eat with sinners, you're condoning their lifestyle. It meant you were okay with their sinfulness. Now, we know that Jesus wasn't okay with their sinfulness. Because how did the Jews come to that? How did did they come to that conviction? Well, because they looked at eating as more than just eating. They saw it really as as having spiritual connotations. You know, eating food with someone meant that you were expressing a oneness with them. Uh, You know, you uh, are eating of the same food that I am, and that food is strengthening me. You're eating from the same food. It's strengthening you. There's a oneness there. So this is why a Jewish person would not eat with a Gentile. Uh, There was no oneness with a foreigner, a Gentile, or someone outside uh, becoming a proselyte into the Jewish faith. If you were not a worshiper of Yahweh and you worship false gods, we want nothing to do with you. And so they were right in separation in that, but they were also unloving and unkind in their execution of their convictions. And so in order to, to... explain his ministry, his philosophy of ministry, if you will, his approach to the lost. Jesus spoke to the nation and to these national leaders by parables. Now, parables are interesting. They're a story with a truth behind it to convey a message that people need to to know and understand. And The purpose of parables is uh, to cause people to think and to contemplate Uh, what is said. And uh, the Lord gave us three reasons for the parables. You can look this up in Matthew 13, 11, and 12. But number one, the reason for a use of parable was to reveal truth. Uh, He he was communicating parables to reveal truth to his disciples. That's what it tells us there in verse 11 of chapter 13. So the purpose of a parable uh, is to reveal but it is also to conceal for those who are insincere, who just really aren't, maybe they're casual inquirers, if you will. And, and without that diligent seeking or really contemplate, contemplating what is being said, they just sort of don't go any deeper. And so therefore, what is being taught is not comprehended. So it's to reveal, they are to conceal, and in reality, it is to test sincerity. Do you really want to know? There are those who are just satisfied with coming to church on Sunday mornings, you know, and and taking in a message. And oh, I've done my spiritual duty for the week. I've done my God thing for the week, and it's just a tradition in our family. This is, you know, kind of what we do. And yet, they never crack their Bible throughout the week. They never take time to pray. They never take time to fellowship with other believers. Well, you know, you're not going to have much of a relationship with the Lord if you if you live on that kind of level. You know, the the greatest thing that any one of us can experience is to know God. There's no greater experience in your life than to know the true and living God. The more you come to know him, the more beauty you see in him, the more you admire him, the more you desire to worship him and to be with him. There's no greater experience than to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and it makes it a lot easier to love your neighbor as yourself as well the other idea here about the parables is that they are secrets of the kingdom so within these stories that are being told and given to the people were the mysteries of the kingdom now mysteries is a a, a term of truths that were not revealed in the old testament they were they were kind of hidden there you know uh, peter talks about things uh, that that even the angels desired to look into their hidden truths. Uh, but now they're being made known by Jesus, and that's what was, his ministry was about. He spoke of things that were hidden from the foundation of the world. He spoke of things that people had never heard before. That's why reading through the Gospels and going through the ministry of Christ is so vital for us to understand the nature and character of God because Jesus represented and expressed the image of the invisible God perfectly. What an example He set for us. You see, for you and I who believe and you trust in Jesus, it has been given to you to know these mysteries. Do you know that God wants to reveal Himself more and more to you through the Scriptures? He wants you to know Him. He wants to reveal Himself. And He's chosen you. You're in this place this morning to hear a message to encourage you to seek it out. God wants to reveal Himself to you in a very personal and special way. The thing about those who are not sincere in seeking the Lord uh, is found in the fulfillment of this scripture spoken by Isaiah some centuries prior, Isaiah 6, 8 through 10. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. You know why a lot of people are not healed? I'm not talking about the physical, and that's part of it. But our healing is is much greater than that. Our body, soul, and spirit, our whole being needs to be healed. Sin is destructive. And when we sin and we incur guilt upon our souls, it does damage to our psyche, it does damage to our spirit. There are some sins that do more damage than others. There are sins of the flesh, and they create guilt. But there are also sins of the spirit. And then there are sins that are both of the flesh and of the spirit, and those do the greater damage. This is why Paul exhorted the church in Corinth, uh, the Corinthian church to abstain from fornication because that was a sin that would do damage not only to the flesh, uh, destruction of the person's body, but also damage to their spirit. And God wants to keep us from that. It's so important that we uh, are preserved from those kinds of things. People are not healed because. They're not sincere in seeking. They're, they want to come so far, it's almost like people want to be saved. They don't want to go to hell, but, but they still want to live the way I want to live. I want to call my own shot. As if we think we have a better plan for our lives than God has. I mean, hold on here a minute. God created us. He made us. He's, he made us for a specific purpose and reason. And he, he's the wisest person in existence and somehow we think we know better than him but why is it that we don't obtain that because we are not sincere and we won't follow through with finding out what he has for us because what that requires of us is very costly if a man come after me let him come and die take up his cross and follow me yes the denying of self is probably one of the hardest things that we could ever do to deny ourselves But when you begin to learn to die to self and the life of Christ is produced within your heart, it does become easier. When we forsake considering our lives dear to ourselves and we begin to live sacrificially for Him, then that's when true life really begins. You see, the problem with having a dull heart means you have a hardness of heart. There's no feeling, there's no sensitivity to the grace of God. There's no sensitivity to the mercy of God. And he, this is uh, what happens with sin it hardens our hearts. Our ears are heavy. Our eyes are shut. We, don't, we see, but we don't understand. We may hear, but we don't really comprehend. We need a complete repentance. Because the result of hearing, The result of understanding is that that person repents and they return to the Lord. And when we return to the Lord with all our hearts, that's when we're healed from the effects of sin. Verses 3 through 7 gives us this idea of the lost sheep here. What is a lost sheep? Well, we have lots of ideas about sheep. We know they're not the smartest animal. They have a tendency to just wander off Meander without direction in their lives. They enter into life-threatening, dangerous zones that can bring death to them. And that's why they need a shepherd. That's why you and I need a shepherd. We are as sheep. And Jesus is full of compassion. Matthew 9:36 says, "When Jesus lifted up his eyes and he saw the multitude, he was filled with compassion, because he saw the people. they were as sheep, without a shepherd. They were weary, they were scattered, they were without leadership, they were without clear direction in their lives. And it burdened him, and so he spoke to them and he taught them. When you see Jesus ministering throughout his life, he's, whenever the crowds would gather, he be, would begin to instruct them, instruct them and give them the word of God. Why? Because it is the word of God that brings life. We, this is the thing about our church and Calvary chapels in general. We minister the word of God. It's not the opinion of the pastor. It's the word of God that actually brings eternal life. Eternal life is, well, you know, I'm going to live forever. Yes, it's that. But it is greater than just living forever. When you confess Christ and you receive the gift of forgiveness, that is the beginning of eternal life. You begin to experience God's life. It is like a river... flowing from the throne of heaven right out of God's heart through the power of the Holy Spirit delivered right to your heart and you begin to experience His life. That's what God has for you. That's true life. That's what He wants for you. And Jesus will seek and save those who are lost, those who have gone off that path and He will never give up He'll always seek to save that which is lost. Why? Because you are of great value to him. Why do you think the enemy of God, those enemies in the unseen realm that attack us regularly, why do you think they do that? Because we are of great value to God. They cannot do anything against God. They can't hurt God physically or spiritually in any way. God's all-powerful. You know, it's not like God and Satan are on equal level. The, the, you know, you know the, this side of the force and that side. You know, this is ridiculous mythology. There's nobody like the Almighty. Amen. Nobody. And the reason why the enemy attacks us is because he knows it hurts God. Because his love for us is in, eternal and intense. We are of great value to God. He has great compassion on those who have lost their way, those who have lost their direction in life. He knows that we're in an insecure place. He knows how tough life is and how uncertain life is. But The shepherd goes out after them and he finds them. He knows where to look. Do you think you're going to hide from God? Do you think you're going to get away from God? I mean, David said this, if I go to the mountaintop, you're there. I go to the lowest parts of hell, you're there. I go to the faraway sea, you're there. I mean, I'm not getting away. You're not getting away from the presence of God. Impossible. So it's time as men and women that we stop, turn around, and face him and face who we are because there's grace, there's goodness, there's forgiveness with God. He knows where to look. He knows where we live and he will find us. And he'll confront us in his love. What are you waiting for, Johnny? What are you waiting for, Sally? What are you waiting for? You know, when someone comes to the Lord, when a wonderful thing takes place. They throw a party in heaven. Isn't that great? That's kind of what we do next week, you know. We throw, we're going to throw a party. A couple people are getting baptized. By the way, if you haven't been baptized and you need to be baptized and you haven't been obedient to the Lord to be baptized, bring some clothes. We'll get you baptized. So that is, dry, you probably want to wear dry clothes after you get baptized, right? So bring some extra clothes. We have two at this point, but we encourage you to be baptized. If you've made a re- recent turn to the Lord and repented and turned to him, Made a confession of Christ, you need to be baptized, and we'll be glad to help you be obedient to the Lord. The whole idea is really understanding repentance. Repentance is the idea that you change from a self centered, autonomous lifestyle to experience a God centered lifestyle. It's living a life that's informed and directed by God. That's true repentance. The Hebrew word, the emphasis in the, from the Jewish perspective, is change your action. From the Greek perspective, it's change your mind. But in reality, repentance involves both. It is a change of your mind. It is a chain, change of your actions. It's, it's reconsideration and a total change in your course of direction. Salvation is the miracle of new birth. It's like having a newborn baby into your family. Yes. I couldn't pass that up. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Lindy Cade. It's a great time of rejoicing when someone's born again and they're born into the family of God. One new soul added to God's, one more to become part of that oneness that Jesus is seeking. You know, it says here, there's more joy over the one sinner who repents. It's not like they're not happy with the guys that are still members, right? But we just, we've already repented. We don't need to repent again in that sense. It's just the idea that we've pulled another one out of the fire, Saved another one from eternal destruction. That should be on the mind of every true believer. How can it reach my lost neighbors, my friends, my co-workers, potentially children? And so this takes us to the final two verses here, or three verses, 8 through 10, the lost coin. Who do these represent? I think the lost coin represents, you allow me to spiritualize this a little bit. Those who get caught up in this world of materialism living for the here and now pleasure-seekers. I was one of those, unconscious of their lost condition and their ignorance of God. It's essentially materialism and hedonism, two great deceptions that really control humanity, lost humanity. So this woman obviously possesses something of great value. It's valuable in her eyes. And yet, the lost coin is the main character. Her objective is to recover that which is lost. She seeks to find what was lost in the dark. Jesus seeks to find you and me who have been lost in this darkness. And he knows how to find us. He does three things in the life by the power of the Holy Spirit three things the Holy Spirit conducts himself in doing. He lights the lamp. He turns on the light because we're blind in the darkness. We need illumination, and we need to build a see to understand, and nothing can be seen in the darkness. Secondly, the Holy Spirit begins to sweep the house. Yes, we get involved in people's lives as Christians. People that come out of the world are messed up. They're damaged. They need help. They need healing. He comes through and he begins to sweep the dwelling place. He cleans every nook and every cranny. That's the thing about the Holy Spirit. He searches the inward parts. And he is such a gentleman. Wherever we allow him to go in our inner man, he goes. And then he shines the light on that needs to go. That needs to change. That's unclean. Don't do that. Don't do that. I can't, I can't allow you to live that way. You'll not sense my love. You'll not enjoy my grace. Don't do that anymore. He's very gentle. He's very kind. But he's exacting. And when you learn to just submit to that, this is what we're talking about when we're saying denying self. We don't resist the work of the Holy Spirit. We let him sweep. We let him clean us. We let him sanctify us. And by searching carefully, the Holy Spirit is very diligent He's very thorough. These are the things that God is constantly doing in the lives of humanity. Is this not the work of the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin and of righteousness, of judgment? Before I became a Christian, there was something that told me, I am not living right, and if I I don't want to go to hell. I remember looking in the mirror and having this conversation with myself, like, man, I don't want to go to hell. I'm, a, I'm not living right my heart condemned me but then I would walk out forget what I looked at right and just go about the, the party scene but somehow in his great love and compassion he brought me to my knees and broke through that pride and self-centeredness and I was able to confess my sins and ask him to forgive me and you know what he did he did forgive me. And he set me free. He'll set you free. Even as a Christian, it's so easy to get bound and off the course and, and get, allow, open certain doors that should never be open, but they come in and it creates bondage to sin and I no longer enjoy God. I no longer allow God to direct my life because I'm hiding from him. And so... Allow the Holy Spirit to search you carefully. Allow the Holy Spirit to to just illuminate your life and sweep your house clean. You see, those of us who can face ourselves when God convicts us, we just come to the cross. We receive the forgiveness. Lord, thank you for dying on the cross. I want to see myself nailed to the cross with you who through the Spirit helped me to put to death those things that are not pleasing to you. This is how we live. This is what the Christian life is all about. It's not a church attendance. It's a walk with the living God. That's what it's about. It's a one-on-one relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Come in all your lostness to him. Come in all your misery and all your guilt. Bring it all to him. He can handle it. There's nothing going to shock God. He's already aware of it. Everything question is, do you want to be free? Do you want to be free? Or do you want to continue in misery, holding on to your sin, holding on to your shame? The choice is yours. Let me say this. No matter what you may have done or how guilty you may think you are, we all are. But Jesus said this in John six thirty seven all that the Father has given me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will in no wise cast out. You're not going to come to Jesus with a broken heart, guilt ridden, and ask Him to forgive you and have Him say, Get out. Go away. I don't want you. You'll never hear those words. You may hear them from the enemy, but you would never hear those words from Christ. It has come to me. I love you. I died for you. I took the nails. I took the nails for you. I took the nails for you. Come to me. Let me wash you. Let me set you free. Let me give you the eternal life that you've never dreamed could be yours. Let me remove all the condemnation, all your fear, all the insecurities, everything that holds you back. Give it to me. I died for that. I took the nails for that. Surrender. There'll be great joy in the presence of the angels. You want want heaven to throw a party? Just turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. We're going to close here. Worship team will come back up. And for those who there's two categories of people really here, actually. There are those who have heard the message and never really truly repented. They've, you, you've held back. There's been some reserve there, I, 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 an unwillingness to just give it all. I understand that. God understands that. And so you've never really entered into the gift of forgiveness and salvation and God's speaking to you, You, you come forward here, and we're going to pray together to receive Christ. And then there may be others of you who have done that. You were broken. You were contrite. You came to the Lord, and you were forgiven. You know your name's written in the book of life, but you're not doing so well. You've You've opened some doors that you should not have opened. You've picked up some habits that you should not have picked up, and now you're in bondage to some of those things, and you need to be washed, cleansed, and set free. You need to come and be prayed for as well. I'm going to have a couple of the elders up here, and we're going to just take these last few moments as we sing and worship. And There should not be a person in this room walking out of here unright with God. Everyone in this room, everyone in this building should be right with God in their hearts without any condemnation, free Jesus come to set us free, to be free indeed, full of love, full of joy, full of him. That's what it's about. It's not not any more complicated than that. Let's pray. Father, please, by your Holy Spirit, remove any of the pride of the flesh or any restrictive force that would keep a brother or sister from surrender from coming and just getting things right, being washed and cleansed once again, Lord. We pray your spirit would just move upon each of our hearts now, Lord, in Jesus' name.